Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. We live in a society whose standard of value has created broken communities, a generational increase in midlife suicides, and a steady supply of ideological violence. Yes, the love of money is indeed the root of all evils, and we Americans are living proof. And please, no platitudes about how money is fine if you don't love it. Show me someone who does not love money. Even the great hermits and stylites of old loved money. That's why they chose to flee the world in the first place, to escape the madness we now embrace. Thanks be to God. The parables of the kingdom in Matthew set forth a new standard of value, one measured not by the acquisition of wealth, but of biblical wisdom. Praise the Lord in the heavens. Praise him in the heights that this wisdom is definitely not marketable and not for sale. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 to 48. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 307 of the Bible as Literature podcast. For as long as I have been engaged in religious discussions with Christians in particular, whenever the question of the treasure or the pearl comes up, people are always talking about something worldly, even in the English language, which is now mostly secularized. People still talk about pearls of wisdom as referring to the words that come out of the mouth of a human being. I've heard people talk about their denomination or their church as a hidden pearl, as though joining their religious organization is akin to finding the pearl of great price. All of this is, according to the text of the Gospel of Matthew, blasphemy against the throne of God because you are trying to replace his kingdom with something worldly. Now, I know what theologians do, Rich. They try to explain how actually by wanting our denomination or our church, ultimately what you really want is God, so therefore it is the pearl. Well, that's not scriptural. I just want to make it clear, because people play games with scriptural metaphor, and it's subversive and ultimately damaging, because you are taking something precious, which is the proclamation of the kingdom, from these pages, and you are using it to market 
snake oil. So let's be clear, when we're talking about the treasure and the pearl, or in the third example today, the fish, we're talking about something you find in the pages of Scripture. Matthew uses the voice of Jesus to again and again and again explain what the kingdom of heaven is. If everyone is so sure on what the kingdom of heaven is, why does Jesus literally have to explain the kingdom of heaven five times in one chapter? One chapter among 28, where he's been talking about the kingdom of heaven in almost every chapter. Jesus is working so hard to undermine what we understand to be a kingdom every single way he can. I mean, I've heard Father Paul say many times, when you're teaching, it's about the examples. Jesus goes all out to come up with examples of what the kingdom of heaven is so that we can finally understand it. But amazingly, even when we get to chapter 28, we see the disciples still not understand what the kingdom of heaven is. And then we have to go back and reread Matthew or go on to the book of Mark in order to begin again to understand what the kingdom of heaven is because it's not natural. It's not easy. And we're thinking much too highly of ourselves that we already understand what it means. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, the example given is straightforward if you understand business. Because if you find something valuable in a field that's worth more than the field itself, you don't want the owner to claim that you have no right to take it from the field. So you hide it again, and then you go buy the field at fair market value, which is much less expensive than the valuable thing buried in the field, so that ultimately you have domain over the valuable thing. So verse 44, this first example in the triptych that we're going to discuss today of parables of the kingdom, in this first example, it's basic logic. You recognize the value of something, and then you strategize on the best way to get it, and you're willing to sell everything you have to pay for a piece of land you can't afford because the return is very high because you know what's buried there. And this idea of it being hidden is powerful in a Mashalic text because the kingdom of God is preached in parables. You have to work to hear and understand the parable. So it's not self-evident to people that something is in the field. It's not self-evident later in the Gospel of Matthew that the one who is publicly portrayed as crucified is also the King of Glory. It's not self-evident. But if you realize that that's the King of Glory, then even when he's on the cross, you will worship at his footstool. That's the name of the game. So do you recognize the value of something that's hidden to most people? And then are you willing to do whatever it takes to acquire that thing of value? Now, if we're talking about commerce and business, it's not so pleasant because there are lots of Americans who are willing to sell their shirt to make an extra buck. But how many people recognize the value of scriptural wisdom and will give and do whatever it takes to be able to have access to that wisdom, because ultimately the treasure we're talking about is the knowledge of God, which is on the logo of our podcast. People who do best in business are ones that are most willing to take risks. Now, here's the sad thing. 
Christians are not willing to take the same kind of risks as a businessman is in order to get a treasure in a field or to buy undervalued real estate. Every Christian, if they actually believe that the gospel has something of value and a value that's greater than anything that the world provides, much more than the pearls of wisdom, as you said, Father, that the world provides, they should be willing to risk everything. Someone who believes that something is undervalued when everyone thinks that it's valued correctly, they look like a fool when they sell everything they own in order to buy that field. But that person who's buying the field knows of its value even when everyone around doesn't. Everyone who wants the kingdom of heaven, according to this parable, should be willing to give up everything and risk everything if they are really, truly valuing this field, this treasure in this field, which is the gospel. To be clear, if we understand that this treasure is the proclamation of the kingdom that is set forth in Matthew, a kingdom with a crucified Messiah, there is no way to establish its value in human terms. That's the tension. People hear this and they imagine that the kingdom is something appealing. But when you understand what the currency of the kingdom is, and what the kingdom is offering, and what our accountability to that kingdom is, which is proclaimed to us, the kingdom is not here yet. All that we have access to now is a crucified king. When you understand this, it's not so obvious that the kingdom has value. And if someone can present it to you as though it has an appealing value in this life, we're back to talking about snake oil because that's exactly what people do with their various religions and churches. They try to convince you that whatever they are is the kingdom now. It's unacceptable, and it's manipulative and cruel, according to the text. But why do people do that? Because they're left with no choice. You can't market the gospel. No way. You can market some human thing you built. You can market some organization. You can market a product, but you can't market the cross. No way. It's not for sale. It's offered freely. As Father Aaron said on his podcast, quoting Father Paul, it's free of charge with a charge. Now you tell me which department store or which version of Amazon.com is going to say you can have this for free as long as you pay for it with your whole life. It's a joke the way people talk, Rich. And I think today's episode, specifically these very beautiful small parables of the kingdom, give us the opportunity to reorient people to the imperative of the gospel with respect to the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. If by now our listeners have not figured out that Jesus is talking about the text of the Bible, then I don't know what else we can say on the podcast, Rich. I mean, you know, he spent such a long time talking about the tares and the wheat and then talking about why he teaches in parables and then explaining the tares and the wheat and what it all means and what's going to happen after the tares and the wheat. And then it's like he gets tired and he just like fires off two more parables in three verses. The second sentence of both parables is nearly the same. He sold everything he had and bought it. 
when I hear discussions about generosity among Christians, people try to figure out at what level are they supposed to be giving, at what level can they keep the rest to do with as they wish, how much can they have left over to buy bubblegum and Netflix when they've already been generous enough. Twice, Jesus says, in a row, they sold everything they had to buy it because this thing is worth more than anything they could ever own. Why would you spend money on Netflix if the gospel's worth more? If following the gospel's precepts, if following the gospel's commandments to give generously and to give to all those in need, if that's more valuable than Netflix, why would you spend money on Netflix? That's just a bad investment if we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. For heaven's sake, I mean, Scrooge knew that spending money on extra food was not worth it because having the money was more precious than spending it on something frivolous. If everything you have is for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, then why wouldn't you give it? So it makes the question of generosity very strange because what Jesus is saying is, logically, if you find something that's worth more than the money you hold, why wouldn't you exchange your money for that thing? It's just good business. Now, you can say, well, you know, actually my 401k is worth more than the gospel. Okay, fine, then keep your 401k, but at least be honest about the value of the gospel for you. It forces you to be honest as someone trying to do business and as someone who claims that the kingdom of heaven has some kind of value. The whole thing hinges on wisdom and the understanding that wisdom is the most precious thing, that divine wisdom is its own category in itself. When you realize that the pearl is divine wisdom, you will do whatever it takes to acquire wisdom. That's why I can't stand the American high school system anymore. It's become completely consumerized, and they are training the kids to care about their grades and about being high achievers and going to fancy schools, and it's all from the devil. Because the only thing that matters is wisdom. In the case of school, knowledge which is required to gain wisdom. And out of the gate, they're teaching them stupidity. A friend of ours in OCABs mentioned to me recently that more and more women are dying of heart attacks when they reach middle age. So what are we doing to our kids by turning them into little fanatics and workaholics? It's a lack of wisdom to teach children to care about grades. Come on, people. So we're teaching our kids that the real value is recognition, not knowledge. And then they're becoming stressaholics because of the demands of capitalism. And, you know, Gen Xers are either killing themselves or dying of heart attacks younger than ever before. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. A pure lack of wisdom in the society. We no longer understand what's valuable and it's doing damage to our communities. Now, tell me how you're going to convince someone that wisdom is valuable while they're standing in line to buy an iPhone. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers. But the bad fish they threw away. Here it is. There is no kingdom, Richard, without judgment. Exactly. The catching of the fish is what's going to happen in the end. And of course, this parallels the harvest of all the plants in the field that we had above, but you're going to have to separate the wheat and the tares. Here you have a net that brings in all the fish, but the good fish, the valuable fish you keep and the rest you throw back. There's 
this sorting, this judgment that happens. And one thing that's so important about this passage, this is going to go off on a tangent for just a moment, but just follow what I'm saying so you can understand what it really means to hear the Bible as literature. People have asked me this question. Why do you say Bible as literature? What does that mean? A lot of times we miss what is happening in this literature because we're not paying attention to the actual words and the details of the writing itself. We think that there's something behind the writing that we need to pay attention to, but we need to pay attention to the writing itself. We have three parables here. We have the kingdom of heaven, which is a treasure, 44. We have the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, that's in 45. And in 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's a treasure, it's a merchant, and it's a net. It's the thing that is valued. It is the person seeking that which is of value, and it is the means by which we gather that which is valuable. The kingdom is the entire process. It's the thing we're trying to acquire. It is the one who is trying to acquire it, and it is the means by which we acquire it. Am I making this up? It's interesting that 47 and 45 both begin with again, and even some manuscripts have verse 44 begin with again. So the author knew that these three were all in parallel, and the kingdom of heaven is the entire mechanism. Those who are trying to acquire the kingdom of heaven are those who want to be members of this kingdom, and they are citizens of this kingdom. But the means by which we acquire this wisdom, this drive, this desire, the tools that we use, the wisdom that we use in order to gather this wisdom, this is also part of the kingdom. All of this comes together in the fabric of what the kingdom is. The sorting that happens then in verse 48 is what does not belong in this fabric? What is not a part of this mechanism that is the kingdom of heaven? We're seeking this wisdom that is the treasure. Those who want to be part of this kingdom become a part of the kingdom because they are the ones who are willing to sell everything and give up everything so that they can acquire this. But they're also the ones who are willing to acquire the tools needed to acquire this great treasure. John Chrysostom asks, how come people don't have a copy of the Bible at home? Now, this is very interesting to be saying in the 5th century because Bibles are incredibly expensive because they're all handmade and not everyone is literate. And he said, well, let me ask you this. If you're a carpenter, don't you buy all the tools you need to be a carpenter? If you're a farmer, don't you buy all the tools you need to be a farmer, whatever the cost? If you're a Christian, wouldn't you buy all the tools you need in order to attain this pearl of great price? He doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about the treasure, but this is what he's saying. What would you spare to make an earthly living? That being said, how much are you willing to spare in order to be a member of this kingdom? This is really the price that the human being who wants to be part of this kingdom must pay. This observation you've made, Richard, is important. When the Matthean Jesus is talking about the kingdom, it's the thing you're seeking, it's the person who's seeking it, and it's the tool you use to catch it. We're talking about the law, God's wisdom, his Torah to the nations. Just listen to the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. This is Joshua chapter 1. I began with verse 6. I'm now reading verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. 
The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, which means to recite it, as Father Paul reminds us often. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I call up this text because it's a teaching I appeal to often when trying to explain the reality of the kingdom. The kingdom isn't here yet, but to the extent that Joshua lives according to the precepts of the kingdom's law, which is presented to us now, then suddenly he has in his hand the tool that will help him acquire the kingdom, which is itself the kingdom, and he himself has to actively engage it so that the kingdom would become a reality under his feet no matter where he goes. If that doesn't explain what Jesus is saying about the kingdom here in Matthew, I don't know what else does. To acquire the wisdom of Scripture, you need Scripture, and you yourself have to seek it. It's pretty straightforward, Dr. Benton, and I appreciate your observation about this triptych. Thanks very much. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.